Uh, today we're going to be talking about a life lived and a life over. Uh, so many times when I was young, we would go to auctions uh, when I was a kid. My mom and dad would go to auctions. They would try to find, uh, you know, somebody had passed away and they were selling their estate. And uh, we would go to these auctions and we would bid on the things of the people, right? But I always thought even at a young age, an auction is kind of sad. I mean, you see everybody's things that they've collected all over their life, all through time, everything that was in their closet, everything that was uh, in their dish, everything that they had is out for the world to see, to bid on. And I always thought that was a sad thing, that a life, that's a representation of a life. It's a representation of a life here and a life gone. A person, all a person had their whole life auctioned away to strangers. Money to someone who didn't even work for it. So a lot of times you see a person live their life, they auction everything away, and the money goes to some second, third, fourth cousin or something, right? And it just seems almost like, wow, is that it? But that's how we live our life today. We live our life in a worldly way that we think that this is all there is and we build up all the things that this world can offer, but at the end of, end of days, they don't matter. Amen? There's nothing that you can collect here that matters to a hill of beans difference. But there's only one thing that matters in a person's life and, and when we die, it don't, it don't matter about the auction. What matters is if our heart was sold to Jesus a long time ago. Amen? that God saved us and that we are going to get to spend an eternity in heaven because of what God did on the cross and for cause he is alive. Today I want to talk to you about two men who had the same crimes and they were dying the same death, but they had two different destinies. These men had a first-hand view of the cross. And so many times we think of all the people that had a first-hand view of the cross but no one had it better than a thief that day. Nobody could see Jesus dying on the cross like that thief. And we think of all that was happening during this time of Jesus' crucifixion. And as these men were starting to see Jesus, out of all the crowd that day, we see the vision, we see the Via Della Rosa, we, we see the parade of people that were uh, crucifying Jesus, who were yelling at Jesus, who were mocking Jesus, who were throwing stuff at Jesus. We see the blood, we see uh, the scourging, we see all these things that we have grown up with all of our life. And we see the love that God was bestowing on each and every single one of us. But as Jesus was getting paraded down the street, we see the crowds of people. We see all the people. We see the, uh, the multitudes of people. Maybe there was, they were the people that were at the beginning of the week that were yelling Hosanna, but now they're yelling crucify Jesus. We see the Sadducees. We see the Pharisees. We see all of these people that were mocking him that we got him and he's going to be dead. And I'm telling you guys, with the blood that was being shed, not one person that day looked at Jesus and said, I need him, but one. The Sadducees should have seen him. The Pharisees who had spent their entire life looking for him should have seen him. The crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, should have seen him. But it was a thief. The one that was saved that day out of all those people were the one that you least expected, and it was a thief that was dying beside Jesus. Amen? What a Jesus that we serve. The Pharisees didn't get it. The Sadducees didn't get it. The Romans didn't get it. The crowds didn't get it. But the thief got it. The most unlikely individual... We don't know his name. 
We don't see him ever become a disciple. We don't see his bruises and his cuts healed. We don't see him pulled off the cross. But we do see a sinner saved by grace who is in heaven today because of the man in the middle. Amen? That it is all about Jesus. So as we turn, it is Luke 23, starting in verse 32, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for your blessings that you give us. Thank you, God, that we can come into your house today and worship you. Lord, there's so many places that we can be, but there's no other place that I'd rather be. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you for the, the non-fear that we get to have standing in your house. Lord, thank you for those that gave last week. Lord, thank you for the students that are going to get to go to camp. Lord, I pray, God, that you bless that. But Lord, I pray, God, that this morning that you speak to a heart Lord, I pray, God, that there might be a thief in this place today that you say, I'm the only one, God, but God sees them. And, Lord, I pray, God, that there's somebody that sees Jesus for who he is and for what he's done and that he loves them. And, Lord, I pray, God, that today that somebody gives it up. Lord, I pray that we see a place, that we come to a place of repentance. And, Lord, I pray, God, that you start to move this church in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get started, I'm going to go back. I should have said this a minute ago. I shared this with my youth people uh, this morning. This week, I was talking to a uh, fellow pastor, and he was giving me some encouragement. And he said, Brandon, I'm going to tell you a story. And he was talking about Harold Hunter, who, who passed, he preached here a few times back in the day. And he was talking about a story of Harold. Uh, and Harold Hunter said that uh, there was a time where he was wanting to bring in this great evangelist to his church. This, this evangelist was a man of God. And this evangelist is up to his, he was about 95 years old at this point, and uh, his ministry was ending, and, but he was a true man of God that God had used all of his life. And he wanted his church to experience a true man of God. Well, this man came in to preach. He was 95. He was not as, he was, he wasn't, his, his voice wasn't as strong as it used to be. His voice cracked. He, he wasn't as, uh, like he wasn't just all over the place, spitting and slobbering like he always did, and and it just seemed flat. And Harold said he sat there in the pew and he wondered. I said, God, I guess that God's just done with him. I, his time is done and his time is over. And I guess God's never going to use him anymore. And I, but I'll get up when this is all over and tell the congregation that his day is done. But he was a great, not that his day was done, but that he was a great pastor and that this is what he was in the past. But something happened that day because in his least expe expectation... The crowd absolutely moved on that sermon. It said, he said that he has never seen people move like he did that day. There was people coming in repentance. There was tears all over the altar. There was people getting saved. And he said, how in the world, God, could you use this man who was barely even preaching to do something so great? And he said the, the time came where he was taking him to the airport and he said, Harold, you thought God was done using me, didn't you? And Harold said, yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I wasn't sure. And the next thing this man said, he said, Harold, while you were asleep in bed this morning, I was on my knees already praying. He said, the power of God comes through prayer and a people that know the power comes from God. So many times we get in these pulpits and we try to change your mind. I can't change none of your minds, but only God can. And we must remember that we are a people that are, we are just thieves on the cross. We have no power, but God has the power. 
And he is the one that we lean on. He is the one that we pray to. We want change in our world. We want change for our children. We want change for our homes. We must hit our knees again and ask a God above to change the world in which we are. But so many times we come in and we say, God, why ain't you doing something? Well, we're not even asking him to do something. We show up and think men can do it. Men have no power, but God does. Amen. And that is a lesson and that is a conviction to me to say, Brendan, you can get up here and spit and slobber and run around the building, but you have no power. Only through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit working through us. But I believe today that God can and he will, and I hope and pray that you sit there in your, your pew and you say, God, I believe that you can and you will and that you can change a life today. Look in verse 32 and verse 33. It says, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Malefactors means evildoers. They were lawbreakers. They were criminals. Does anybody else in here today can witness that they know some lawbreakers in the place? I know that I'm a lawbreaker. I know that, man, the moment that I'm trying to live for Jesus, the next thing I do, my mind goes somewhere else, and I have broken God's law over and over and again. But I'm thankful today that God even sees through my sin and said I'm worth it and that I'm going to, he's going to save me despite me. Amen? And this lawbreaker, this evildoer, these criminals who were on trial, more than likely they were on trial for uh, robbing somebody's home and killing the person inside their home. Uh, these were some awful men. These were some awful people. And they were dying justly for what they did. Our Jesus, though, was dying beside them as a low-down criminal. I want you guys to understand the hate that people had for Jesus. Guys, Jesus was being killed as the worst of the worst. And you say, well, Brandon, who's the worst of the worst today? That's who Jesus would have been. We say, well, a murderer today is the worst of the worst. A rapist, a pedophile, all these things that people are so quick to get rid of them, kill them, right? I get it. But Jesus in his day was thought of so low to these people. That's what they thought of Jesus. That he was the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. That he deserved the worst death of anybody. That was our Jesus. The same one, guys, that came to love. The same one that healed the people. The same one that says, I came not uh, to be served but to serve. The same one who, who, who took the hand of the lepers. The same one who didn't turn his back on the people. The same one who was perfect and holy and righteous and so good. In the day of the crucifixion, he was thought of as an absolute evil person. It is hard for us to understand how this happened. But Calvary... A place called Golgotha, the place of the skull where the worst of the worst were killed. No doubt that these men had started to hear rumblings of Jesus and who he was. Now, I don't know what happened between uh, when Jesus was crucified and when he was in the jail and during all this time, but I tend to believe that these men were maybe hearing through the walls about this Jesus. 
I believe that they could hear through the walls about this Jesus who was dying because he claimed to be the Son of God. Uh, this man that was dying because he, he, they, they, they claimed that he was a religious fanatic or he was a religious nut or all these things that they could hear. But I also believe that these men, as they sat in their shackles and they sat in their chains and they said the days are coming where we are about to die, I believe that they could hear into Jesus' cell. This is just what I believe. And one of those thieves could sit there and listen and they say he is praying to the Father He is about to die, but all I hear is him reaching out to God. And this one thief said, what a fool that he is. He should be begging the people to get him out of here. But this other thief said, man, I've never seen somebody respond in a way of death like this man is responding. Lord, help me. Lord, be with me. If your will be done. No doubt that's probably the words that Jesus was saying in his cell that day. Lord, if it is your will, Lord, let me give up myself for these people. What a love that he gave. The view they received when they seen Jesus, no doubt wasn't matching up. Verse 34 through 35. Then said Jesus, Father, as they came, the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left, they had been crucified. Jesus has been nailed to the cross. Jesus' feet have been nailed. His his hands have been nailed. He is broken and he is beaten and they see him lay down on the cross. When the Bible says that we are to lay down ourselves on the cross, we are to, uh, as Jesus laid himself down, to take up your cross and to follow. Jesus wasn't kicking and screaming as he went to the cross. Jesus wasn't saying, man, no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. At any moment, he could have said, I'm not the God. I'm just messing. I was just a fake teacher. No way. I'm not going to do this. Just stop, 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 stop. But the Bible says that he laid himself on the cross. They didn't have to fight him. Those big old burly men that are used to fighting that criminal as they screamed, and they were like, no, don't crucify me. Jesus, I wholeheartedly believe he laid his head down on that cross. He put his hand out. He put the other hand out, and he said, take me. I'm not going to fight you. This is why I came, to fulfill my father's business. And as they nailed Jesus to the cross, these men were watching. And I believe that one man said, this man is crazy. But this other man said, this man is different. That he is reacting in a way that I never in a million years ever thought that I would ever see somebody react. The crowd... The Roman guards, the religious elite, all the people, they watched, they cursed, and they mocked. Then said Jesus in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. They stripped him. They put him down to the absolute bare. Imagine you hanging on a cross this morning, naked, For everybody to see you, they were wanting to embarrass him to the furthest, furthest way that they could. To make our Jesus look like an absolute fool. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and they cast lots. The people took his clothes, they they, they gambled them away. And the people stood beholding him, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot save himself. 
if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. The crowd, the Roman guards, the religious elite, all of them that day mocked him and cursed him and laughed at him. They were sitting there as he was bleeding down the cross saying, Jesus, this man you say that you are, if you are who you say you are, you, you're a miracle worker. Oh, oh you, 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 you helped the lame to walk? Oh, you, you healed the blind? You can't even get off that cross. You're a fool. You're a mockery. You are an absolute joke. That does, I think, out of all that Jesus went through, the mockery, the temptation that I would have to call all my angels and wipe them all away, I know that's what I would do. If somebody was crucifying me to a cross and they were mocking me, I would tell them probably everything I could tell them in that very moment. I'm innocent, you sorry people. I can't believe you're doing this. I'm going to haunt you forever. (laughs) Right? That's the way our reaction would be. I would be angry. I would be mad. But those Pharisees must have said, listen, boys. Boys, I bet we can hear him beg. This is what we've been looking for. This whole time that we were trying to get him caught, we got him. He always had the answers and he was always so smug and we just felt like he was always making us look bad. We got him now. Boys, I bet you can listen. Can you hear him beg from the cross? Can you hear him whimper? Can you hear him just absolutely beg the people to get him off? I bet we can hear him curse his God right now. I bet we can hear him, the one that he said he came for. I bet if we listen closely, we can hear him curse his own so-called father. I'm telling you, boys, he's a fake. Those Pharisees must have been so excited. The word derided means to hold their nose up and mock. That means they were walking around like, we got him. You thought you were something, Jesus. We got you. I told you we were going to win, but we got you. This one thief on the left and this one thief on the right, one thief said, what a fool. You're right, guys. This guy's an idiot. And whatever happens, man, remember me is that I joined in with you. He's a fool. Jesus, save yourself and save me too. He won't. No, he's a a moron. But this other thief seen things different. This other thief, as they were looking for Jesus to curse, and they were looking for Jesus to yell and to scream, he noticed that it never came. He noticed that Jesus said one word here, and it says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Whoa. He's... He's he's telling us he's forgiving them amongst this. He's forgiving them while they're killing him. Something is different about this man. You said, Brandon, I don't need saving today. I'm good. Lord, if God is so good and he's so great, he's not going to let me go to hell. I don't need Jesus. I, I can come in and I can do the things that I've always done. I can click it off and I could put it back on and I could come to church and I could say I'm here to church and I can go on Monday morning and say I don't need him no more. I clock out and I can do it over and over and over again. 
God's good. He's going to save me. Let me tell you how good God is. If you want to know how far we have fallen away from God, look at Jesus and his actions on the cross. Look at the comparison between you and me and Jesus as he was dying on the cross. How good and perfect and holy he was and how awful and bad we are. God is good. He said, forgive them, Lord. Forgive them for what they do. Uh, There's a song, it says, a look of love was on his face. The thorns on his head. The blood was on that scarlet robe and stained a crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. Because when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I'm so happy today. As we learned last week that God could look into the future and see Peter. He could see that reunion. I'm happy today that God is so big that in 2001 that God could see a young 15-year-old boy and he could look into the future and he's seen that boy coming into Watertown at a little youth revival when nobody was there and he could look into time and say, and I saving him and I died for him and there's going to be a day and a time where I show myself to him and he's going to be saved, Amen. I am thankful today that we serve a God that can look into the future and know and see. And each and every single one of us that have been saved by his grace and his mercy, there's no doubt in that time when he was dying on the cross, he could look into the corridor of time and he's seen each and every single one of us. That moment that Jesus called us by name, that moment that Jesus said, son, you're a sinner, daughter, you're a sinner. Lord, I know that you're separated. I know that you're nothing but a thief, but I'm telling you that I'm dying for you right here in the middle. And if you will receive me by, by, by faith and through grace, I'm going to save your soul. And I think so many times the church has forgotten that. Lord, bless me if you can. No longer does the cross mean anything. No longer does his resurrection mean anything. Lord, I want to go deeper. I need more than the cross. The Bible says that we should glory in nothing but the cross. We have become a people that think we have to be educated and we have to be uh, tell somebody something new. Let me tell you something. We can come into this place and talk about the cross week after week after week, and that's enough. All I need is the cross. Amen? It is the cross. It's here. We got a pulpit that looks like one. But yet the cross is often the number one thing we throw out. Why Jesus had to die. Why he came. We look at Christmas time, the great hope that Emmanuel would come to save the people from their sins. And the day come where Mary must have said, oh, what a son that I have and I love him. And as she raised him and as she cleaned his wounds and as she scraped his, uh, helped him when he was crying and all these things. And as he grew, the day come when he was about 12 years old and he said, mama, I've come to be about my father's business. And the day was for that day when he only lived to be 33 years old. But he came for that moment to die for sin, to die for you, 
and to die for me. Verse 35 through 37, And the people stood beholding him, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save yourself. I believe Jesus in that moment said, I am saving you by staying here on this cross. Verse 38 says, And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. We know that that was put there for mocking. We know that they were trying to make fun of him. But what a true, accurate statement that anybody that was in the crowd that day in their own language could see, this is Jesus the king. Amen? Verse 39 through 41, and it says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. He wanted a personal, uh, he wanted Jesus to save him, but no doubt if he would have saved him and got him off the cross like he wanted. See, he didn't want uh, an eternal salvation. He didn't want an inside salvation. He wanted an outside saving. And no doubt if Jesus would have gotten him off the cross, he would have went on living as he has always lived. Well, there's a lot of folks in God's church today that are living as if they have always lived. They said, God, get me off the cross. Get me off this cross. Help me, Jesus. And Jesus has helped you off, but then you go on and live as you want to live. But this other thief said, I am under condemnation and I deserve it. I don't deserve to get off this cross. But what a Savior, Lord, that you saved me. And give me a hope and a peace, and I don't deserve it, but Lord, help me, save me. Two men, two crimes, same condemnation. One sees, one doesn't. One sees the man in the middle has taken a place. Because we know the story of Barabbas. There was a third man supposed to be crucified. There was a third man that was supposed to be their buddy in the middle. And no doubt, as they seen Jesus dying on the cross, and they said, Jesus is dying for Barabbas. Jesus has taken the place of Barabbas. Who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And the crowd said, give us Barabbas. Set Barabbas free. And Jesus looked at Barabbas and said, son, I just took your place. We're Barabbas. That Jesus took our place on the cross and died in the place of an old sinner that should have been there. And these thief, this thief started to see it. One sees and one don't. Guys, it's pretty simple. I have, so many times we see people, they're like, how do you believe in what you believe in? Don't you believe in evolution? Don't you believe? You're so uneducated. You're so this. You're, you're an idiot and you're all this stuff. Let me tell you something. You give me the smartest, most genius atheist you can come up with. He can be from Oxford and he can be doing all these things and he's so educated and you are such a fool and you are such a moron and your religion is the number one most awful thing. And he is so educated and so many times our people start to fall into like, well, he is awfully smart and he is. You give me him, I'll give you an equally a smart man that's a Christian. And you know where it ends up? They get to arguing. 
And this man says it's evolution. This man says it's creation. This man says this. This man says this. And you know where it's going to end up every single time? It ends right in the middle. You must believe by faith. You must believe that God created and that God made you and that he made it all for, uh, that you, he's given you purpose and meaning and you got to believe that. Or you can believe, as the world says, that you're pointless and that you're here by accident and you are no more worth than the dirt on the outside. That's what you can believe. And you have a choice today to say that I'm believing in the Jesus that has given me hope or I'm going to believe in the world, but it's going to end like this. And you have a choice to believe by faith. It's that simple. But the world wants to tell you that, man, no, we got something up on you. No, you don't. It comes to this. And it is what you believe. Am I going to believe the God of the Bible? Or am I going to believe this world? There's so many Christians. There's so many so-called Christians. There's so many people. Continuously, the world is infiltrating them. But a lost person says, surely I'm good enough to go to heaven. A saved person says, I know that I'm not good enough to go to heaven. A lost person says, I deserve life. A saved person says, I deserve death. A lost person says, if God is good, he won't let me go to hell. A saved person says, thank you, Jesus, I deserved hell. It's pretty simple. But in verse 40, they said, we were under the same condemnation. But the other answer rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, where has the fear of God went in our churches? We no longer fear God at all. I mean, guys, we go back to Adam and Eve in the garden where God gave them the rule. He said, don't do this, don't do this. When Eve took that bite, she said, God, I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. You're holding me back. And there's so many folks today. And she said, I don't fear you. Guys, we have forgotten a reverence and a holiness. And we have forgotten the fear of the Lord. Do we not fear God? How in the world can we continue to live with one foot on a banana peel and one foot on a grave? The auction is going to come for you as well where all of your stuff is going to be there for everybody to see. Everything that you have in just a short amount of time is going to be laid out. They're going to be given five bucks. Oh, I'll take ten bucks for that. I'll give this. I'll give this. And they ain't ever going to think of you. They just want your stuff. Do we not fear God? Because all that matters when we die is what we did with Jesus. Because without him, we don't have anything. What good is what the world has to offer if we don't have an eternal salvation from Jesus? We deserve this, he said. He said, seeing our own condemnation, the verdict has been read, the shackles have been put on, the judgment is now. He said, thief... Billy, I don't know what your name is, but Billy, we're under our condemnation. We deserve to be on this cross. We deserve it. 
We stood before Pilate just a few days ago and he had us guilty. He labeled out everything that we'd ever done. Well, there's nothing we can do. We have been called murderers and there's nothing we can do to get our innocence. My friend, we have been, we have, we have just inoculated our brains. That no longer do we fear God. We sit there and say, God, no. Guys, I was under condemnation at one time in my life. As I stood before God, he labeled out his Ten Commandments. And he said, Brandon, you think you're a good boy. Lord, I'm a good boy according to the world. But when God's word was laid out, oh, I'm a thief. Yeah, I've stolen. I'm a murderer. You say, well, Brandon, I'm not a murderer. We've killed people all the time in our minds. I'm an adulterer at heart. I've lusted. I've done all these things. I've put things before God. I've made my own idols. That's what we are inside, guys. We are not good. We are bad. I'm a lawbreaker. And just because that I try to compare myself to the world around me doesn't get rid of the fact that I'm under condemnation. And God says because of our sin, because of this gap that has been created between a holy God, that there is a chasm so wide that none of us can get there. Because we are sinners. And we deserve it. We deserve to be under condemnation. That's what we are. But God gave us something. Even though we deserve hell, even though we deserve death, God gave us the gift of salvation on the cross. He said, I know that Billy's struggling. I know that Johnny's struggling. I know that Amber's struggling. I know that she is, but I died in her place. And through Jesus, you can have hope and you can have salvation and you can be in heaven only through the blood of Jesus. He says, we deserve this, but Jesus in the middle is innocent and he's dying for someone else. In verse 41, he says, and we indeed justly For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This young, this thief said, Lord, I'm coming to you in repentance. One thief died in his pride. Even in death he saw no need of the Savior. There's people here today that come week after week and you still see no need of a Savior. Then line yourself up with God's Word and see if you need a Savior or not. I'm not your uh, judgment. Like, don't judge it on me. Don't judge it on anybody else. Don't judge it on all the hypocrite Christians. That's what we all want to do. They're all hypocrites. They all do this. They all do that. I don't care if every Christian in the world's a hypocrite. God is good. And just because we are a bad representation of him doesn't mean that he don't deserve our worship. So quit looking at everybody else and look at God and line yourself up with what God says. And every single one of us are going to come to the same conclusion. And that is the locks are on our wrists and we are under a condemnation. Woo, that's when the cross makes a way. That's when the cross is something that I don't care how long I preach, the cross still gets me going. Because the cross is where we, it's such a great thing. 
The other thief, as one says, I see no need of a Savior. The other thief said, God save me. Verse 42 through 43, the most unlikely men, the most unlikely man that has ever lived and ever existed is now in heaven. I, hope, I believe today that as he, as, he, as he called on Jesus' name and he said, Lord, save me, and Jesus said, Son, I'm going to save you today. You're going to be with me in paradise. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I believe it is true. Today in heaven, when that man must have got to heaven, what a surprise it was. What a surprise it was when this old thief went from dying on a cross to all of a sudden his eyes went shut for the final time and his eyes popped open to glory. And in that moment, then he walked into heaven's door and must have they said, well, what did you do for me? What did you do for God? What, 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 what words did you, what, what did you preach? Did you get baptized? Did you go to Sunday school? Did you do everything you were supposed to do? What's your, uh, what do you think about sanctification? What do you think about glorification? What do you think about this? Where, where's your theology, thief? And that thief in the middle must have said, I don't know how I got here, but the man in the middle told me I could come. God is good. And before we close, guys, I want you to understand this thief took his one opportunity to follow Jesus. He took his one chance and he seen his sin on the cross and he said, God, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, I'm trusting in only you. And God said, son, that's all you need to do is trust me. I'm going to take you to heaven. But guys, there's another person in the Bible that I believe is the direct opposite of this thief. This thief kissed hell and went right into heaven. There was another man who was religious, who did all that he was supposed to do, who should have seen the cross as a second chance. If he would have held on, he would have seen Jesus rose again, and no doubt God would have loved him too. But Judas was a man who was the direct opposite, who kissed heaven and went to hell. And the greatest tragedy in all the world is to see religious people, to see the Sadducees and to see the Pharisees and to see all these people that should have been in heaven. They should have seen it. They should have seen Jesus as the answer. And they were so good. And they looked the part. And they knew what to say. They knew what to do. But their hearts were so far from God. Guys, what a travesty it is that people come into a church on Sunday morning and they've heard the gospel a million times and maybe they're in, they're in positions or maybe they're doing this or maybe they're doing that, but they know when they go to bed at night, they know deep down that they've never given their all to Jesus. There ain't going to matter that when you get to heaven one of these days, man, it ain't going to matter all that I did. It's not going to matter how hard I preached. It's not going to matter how much I sweated through my jacket. It's not going to matter all those things. What's going to matter is what I did with Jesus. And guys, we have got to come up with our own conclusion. Lord, Lord, I'm right here. Are you going to trust Jesus as Lord? Or are you going to trust the gods of this world? There's one choice. And we don't like that choice because, Lord, I don't want to just give one choice. I want more choices. No, it's Jesus or nothing. He's the only one that is alive and well today. Jesus is the only one that has changed history. 
that a man out of Nazareth of nobody has changed the entire world. And I believe today at Hillcrest Baptist Church, God is wanting to save somebody. I believe that there's walls up in this great place. We are a great church, but even Hillcrest Baptist Church can have walls up. Even Hillcrest Baptist Church can have things that need to be busted down. And I believe wholeheartedly that there are walls in this place that need to be busted down. And the only way that they're going to be busted down is when we get rid of our pride and we put our faith and a trust in a Jesus Christ that can and that will. Now today there's decisions that need to be made. There's all kinds of decisions. You say, well, Brandon, I've never been baptized. I've been saved and I need to get baptized. If you've never followed Jesus in obedience as the first thing that you need to do, you need to be getting that set right now. To follow Jesus. You say, well, Brandon, I, I, I don't want to join this church. Y'all don't have a pastor. That's okay. I believe, this is my opinion, that some of the greatest time to join a church is when there's no pastor. Get on board, and, and, and it's a new day. It's a new start. It is what it is. Come on. God can use you right here, right now. Don't wait. We don't know what the future holds. If God says, come, come. We would love to have you here at Hillcrest Baptist Church serving Jesus alongside of us. Don't wait. And then there's people here today that are lost. You are that thief. You have been mocking. You have been doing this and you should have been doing that. And you, uh, you look, you, there comes a time where God calls you by name. And you need to receive that call and trust Him by faith. You're on the wrong side of the cross today. And then there's people here that are saved. They're doing their absolute best. They're struggling. Lord, I know you've saved me, but I just feel like I'm pulling around my salvation today. It's like a, it's like a ball right here, and I'm just pulling it aside, and it's everything I can do to get up and go to church, and I'm struggling, and I, I'm trying to balance work, and I'm trying to balance life, and I'm trying to do all these things that's just real life stuff, right? Maybe you need to remember today the cross. And go back to the foot of the cross where God first saved you and set you afire. And go back to the cross today and say, God, renew my strength. Lord, set me aflame in my life. Set my soul afire to keep going, to keep running, to keep doing what I need to be doing for you, Jesus. But there are decisions that need to be made in this place. Now, the moment of invitation has come. Guys, you come. Wherever you are today, I'm not going to beg you and I'm not going to plead you to come. But as you stand, this altar is open.